Welcome to the only Friday the 13th for all of 2022. Many consider the day to be unlucky, a tradition that goes back many centuries. Rather than go through all of that, I'm more curious to know what you think of this day. Do you take precautions? Did you even notice? Do other days in a Friday the 13th month also have powers? In any case, those questions are not the purpose of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a podcast and newsletter whose host still wonders why. I'm Sean Tubbs. On today's program, Governor Yunkin orders flags at half-mast to commemorate one million Americans who have died from COVID. There are five vacancies on the Planning Commission in Charlottesville, and the city is seeking applications. An update on the city's zoning process, as well as a lawsuit claiming the comprehensive plan is invalid under state law. A topping out ceremony is held for Alderman Library's construction and renovation, and a quick preview of a conversation between the Reverend Alex Joyner and the author of a new book on Virginia's eugenics movement. In today's first subscriber-supported public service announcement, the Charlottesville area tree stewards continue to offer classes this spring and summer to increase your awareness of our wooden neighbors and to prepare for the future. Coming up on June 7th is a tree identification course taught on Zoom by tree steward Elizabeth Ferguson, followed by a separate hike on June 11th at the Department of Forestry's headquarters near the Fontaine Research Park. That's followed by a tree identification walk at the University of Virginia on June 12th for the public. On June 14th, Rachel Keene will give a lecture on Zoom on the social life of trees. Do trees really communicate with one another? What is a mother tree? Can a tree do anything to repel a pest? Learn more at charlottesvilleareatreestewards.org. Governor Glenn Youngkin has followed the direction of President Joe Biden and has ordered that the United States and Virginia flags at public buildings be flown at half-mast until Monday to commemorate the milestone of a million Americans who have now died of COVID in the past 26 months. I'll have more on the pandemic tomorrow. On Thursday, the Virginia Department of Health reported another 3,144 new cases, and the seven-day average for new cases is 2,441. The seven-day average for PCR tests is 13.7% positive, up from 11% on May 6th and 9.1% on April 29th. None of those numbers include tests taken at home. This morning, the Virginia Healthcare and Hospital Association reports 325 people in Virginia hospitals who are currently COVID-positive, but many of those patients may have been admitted for other reasons. 45 COVID patients are currently hospitalized in intensive care units, and 20 of those are on ventilators. Nationwide, the trend is toward more cases, with 84,778 new cases reported today through PCR tests, according to data collected by the Centers for Disease Control. Hospitalizations are also trending upward across the country, with a seven-day average of 2,603 new admissions a day. It's important to remember that the number of COVID fatalities continues to trend downward, with a current seven-day average of 272 deaths. The highest seven-day average of deaths during the pandemic was 3,420 in mid-January of 2021 and 2,709 in early February of this year.
The city of Charlottesville has promoted two employees to take over their departments and has also filled the position of human resources director. Mary Ann Hardy will move to Charlottesville from Washington State to take the human resources position, which has been vacant since November of 2020, when Michelle Vineyard left after just over a year of service. Hardy has served for the past three years as human resources director in Lacey, Washington. That's a suburb of state capital Olympia that grew from 42,393 people in 2010 to 53,526 in 2020, according to the U.S. Census. Hardy will start work on May 16th. Misty Graves has been with the city of Charlottesville's Human Services Department for 16 years and has been the interim director since Kaki Dimmick left the city to work for Albemarle County. David Dillahunt has been the interim deputy director of the Office of Communications and Public Engagement since soon after Brian Wheeler stepped down as director late last year. Deputy Director Joe Rice left soon afterwards. Dillahunt began working for the city in 2005 as a consultant and has won two regional Emmy Awards for work he's produced for the city. In 2004, Dillahunt also produced a documentary on the children's program, You Can't Do That on Television. The city is still looking to fill the director's position for the Office of Communications and Public Engagement. The position closes on May 18th if you want to throw your hat in the ring. If you have an interest in advising Charlottesville City Council on land use decisions and have time to devote to the effort, you may get your chance. Missy Creasy is the deputy director of the city's Department of Neighborhood Development Services. There are spots on the Planning Commission that are coming open this summer, and uh, right now we're in the window for application. There are five terms ending this summer, and at least two current members cannot reapply. They are Jody Lehendro and Tania Dowell. Commissioner Kareem Habab is filling an unexpired term, which runs out on August 31st. The terms of Hosea Mitchell and Rory Stolzenberg are both running out as well. The latter three can reapply. Work on the next phase of the rewriting of Charlottesville's zoning ordinance continues, but it's slightly delayed. Neighborhood Development Services Director James Fries told the Planning Commission on Tuesday that a diagnostic and approach report was not ready in time for their May meeting, but he hopes it will be out by the end of this month. At this point, we are anticipating that the joint meeting between Council and Planning Commission um, to essentially make a decision on, on moving forward with the, with the results of that report, we're projecting that as happening in September at this point in time. Fries is now referring to this report as a conceptual plan for the new zoning ordinance. It's going to lay out what the approach is towards bringing our zoning into consistency with our comprehensive plan. Um, and it's uh, meant to include within it both uh, modeling of potential building outcomes, so what, what type of buildings might be buildable under the policies that are, are, are um, articulated in the comprehensive plan, and how the market might respond to this new zoning. Fries said a public meeting will be held two weeks after the report is out, with other community engagement events happening over the summer. The new comprehensive plan was adopted in November of 2021. Has that affected the market? I'm not making any claims, but go and consult Information Charlottesville for a series of property transactions in city limits since then. 
That Joint City Council and Planning Commission meeting in September will be after a pair of judicial proceedings related to a lawsuit filed by anonymous Charlottesville property owners challenging the validity of the comprehensive plan. A hearing on the initial motion will be held in Charlottesville Circuit Court on July 15th with Judge Richard E. Moore presiding. A hearing on a city-filed demur to require the plaintiffs to identify themselves will be held on August 26th. The tallest portions of the new Alderman Library have been installed, and the University of Virginia marked the occasion with a topping-out ceremony yesterday. UVA Today reports that over a hundred workers were on hand to witness the placement of two steel beams that had been signed by UVA officials and workers. The library itself is only two-thirds of the way to being completed. When it's done, there will be a new entrance that faces University Avenue. Bill Palmer is with the UVA Office of the Architect, and he gave an update to the Charlottesville Planning Commission on Tuesday. And so that's a good, that's a big milestone uh, of a transformative project over there that'll really open up the library towards University Avenue as you're going up and down that thoroughfare. The original library opened in 1937, but was closed off to University Avenue in 1967 when the stacks were built. I'll have more from that planning commission meeting in a future edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. You are listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and it's time for three quick shout-outs. Code for Charlottesville is seeking volunteers with tech, design, data, and research skills to work on community service projects. Founded in September of 2019, Code for Charlottesville has worked on projects with the Legal Aid Justice Center, the Charlottesville Fire Department, and the Charlottesville Office of Human Rights. Visit codeforseville.org to learn about those projects. And in the middle, I'd like to take the opportunity to wish my brother, Stephen Tubbs, a happy birthday for tomorrow. And the final shout out comes from another Patreon supporter who wants you to go out and read a local news story written by a local journalist, whether that be The Daily Progress, Charlottesville Tomorrow, Seville Weekly, NBC 29, CBS 19, WINA, or some other place I have not yet mentioned, the community depends on a network of people writing about the community. Go learn about this place today. And finally today, the newsletter and podcast that you're experiencing stems from a website I created in 2005 to bring lectures, interviews, and audio segments to the public as an experiment. The Charlottesville Podcasting Network has been in the hands of my friend Dan Gould for several years, but he recently retired and passed the baton back to me. From time to time, I'll end this newsletter with a small taste of what you might hear over there. The Reverend Alex Joyner is the pastor of Charlottesville First United Methodist Church, and he wants to ask questions about what it takes to make a place more whole. One thread in his questioning is the future of Market Street Park in downtown Charlottesville. In February, he interviewed Elizabeth Catt, the author of Pure America, Eugenics, and the Making of Modern Virginia. Catt said she wrote the book after learning about some of the history of Western State Hospital. After it closed in 2005, the site was turned over to the Stanton Industrial Authority for redevelopment as apartments. At one point, the facility was known bluntly as the Western State Lunatic Asylum. Its history became part of its branding identity. 
And that was a really interesting transformation. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a long <laughs> stretch to, to pull those two together. Yeah, so two hundred yeah. years of history had to get condensed into something that could be about two paragraphs on a website, and could also be anchored to, um, you know, branding material for tourism, for community development. So, so it developed this really kind of cozy, uh, positive story about early physicians who. Um, committed themselves to the humane treatment of people with mental illness, illnesses. And that was certainly one of the chapters of that site's history. But the larger chapter in the, hist- in the chapter that I knew as a historian was the history of that institution during the eugenics era. Eugenics was the legal practice of sterilizing those thought to be inferior so they would not reproduce. The United States Supreme Court ruling of Buck versus Bell cleared the way for the practice, with Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes delivering the line in the majority opinion, three generations of imbeciles is enough. The practice was legal until the 1970s. At least uh, 1,700 people were uh, sterilized against their will at Western State Hospital. The longest serving superintendent was a vocal leader of the Virginia eugenics movement. And it has a very harrowing history. To hear more from Alex Joyner's interview with Elizabeth Catt, visit the Charlottesville Podcasting Network. But this is Charlottesville Community Engagement, and you're at the end of this installment of the program. Thank you so much for listening, podcast listeners, all, you know, the dozens of you who are doing that. One day, I hope to get that up to hundreds. But of course, between now and then, we have so much to get through, don't we? I really do appreciate everybody who contributes either through Substack or through Patreon or simply tells someone else about this program. There is a lot to cover, as I said, and every single day I'm getting a little bit better at being a little bit more efficient. And of course, seriously, getting the Charlottesville Podcasting Network back is something really exciting. If you have ideas for anything you might want to do as a podcast or an interview you might like to do, I cannot pay you to do so, but I certainly can help you because I am looking to know more about what you want to know more about. And there's plenty of ways to do this sort of thing now in this uh, 21st century that we're in with all of this technology that we have. I'm hopeful that a new era for the Charlottesville Podcasting Network can stand with the creation of this show and the Information Charlottesville Archive. All of it is a part of Town Crier Productions, the company that I set up a couple years ago now to do all of this work. I am grateful to each and every one of you for listening, and uh, really, I hope we get to keep doing this for a long time to come. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program. It is Friday the 13th. I am going to step on cracks. I am going to go break a few windows. I'm going to say the name of the Scottish play in a theater. Actually, that last one I'm not going to do. That's like death. Don't do that. Back in the near future with another installment. There could be another one tomorrow. There could be one Monday. I still haven't quite decided. Uh, The Week Ahead newsletter will be out on Sunday. If you have any ideas for anything that we should be doing on this program, perhaps together, drop me a line. Happy to hear it. And in the meantime, stay dry. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.